0: part two. This, is, this concludes where I left off last Sunday morning under appeal to heaven. Now today we are under, we are looking at the history of our land. And the history of our land starts back many, many years ago, several hundred years ago. We look in the 1600s and what happened prior to this is that there was an uprising, in in the Great Britain. And there were people that desired to worship the Lord in freedom. And they were called Puritans in that land. And because they were called Puritans, they were looked despised upon because they said, without holiness, no one will see God. And they began to preach holiness across England and across the territories over there. And as a result the people of england were were tired of the preaching and tired of the revival and tired of being condemned for their for their lives so what happened is that many of them after in the midst of persecution in the midst of all the things that happened they left looking for religious freedom and finding a land here we call them pilgrims and if you want to go further into history read the Mayflower Compact and recognize that our land was based upon the idea that this would be a free place to worship God to worship Jesus Christ. Our land was built on this concept, and over a period of time, though there became a philosopher that named by the name of John Locke. Now, this over about fifty years past the time of the founding of this land, and he began to rec- he began to write in, uh, the, in the height of the this Enlightenment period. He began to write different treaties and different things about. How men and women should live and the rule of government in their lives. And as he began to write some of these things, one quote that he said in, in one of his papers that he wrote is he said this when the, when the land, when the government causes you so much strife when you can no longer be free, and it feels as if, I'm summarizing here, and it feels as if you have no other place to turn. John Locke wrote this in the 1650s. He said, the people have no other remedy in this as in all other cases where they have no judge on earth but to appeal to heaven. For the rulers in such attempts exercising a power the people never put into their hands who can never be supposed to consent that anybody should rule over them for their harm do they do that which they have not a right to do in summarizing he says this he says when you have when the government forces you to live a particular way, to do a particular thing, to react in a particular way, and you have no other judge on earth and no other place to appeal, there's still one court that you can appeal to. There is still one place that you can go to and you can appeal to heaven. Amen. That is what John Locke wrote in the 1650s. He understood the concept that God is in control of this world. That we have, they may take away our freedoms in this world. They may take away our rights and they may take away all the things that this country is founded upon but they cannot take away our ability to pray unto heaven. They cannot stop the people of this land from appealing to heaven and crying out to the Lord. I want to tell you and being as transparent as I could possibly be. I had no clue any of this existed in history until about several weeks ago. When I began to pray and seek the Lord about what God would want me to say, the Holy Spirit gave me two words, two phrases as I began to research and began to look at. And then I found there's all kinds of things happening out there. Number one, and I told my wife this because then she, then I showed her the things I was finding and it was clear that God was doing something. The two, word, two phrases he said was appeal to heaven and ancient path. So I knew back in our history there had to be something going on. Then I found there's a movement out there that is based upon appeal to heaven, which you can look on yourself, and I'm thinking, man, this is awesome. There's some things moving here that God is already preemptively doing because there's something getting ready to happen, and this was before last weekend. I believe God already knows ahead of time what's going to happen in your personal life. So he already begins a work of rescuing you before you ever see the trial. That's a big God. The Bible tells us that before Adam even sinned, in Revelation that Jesus Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So before Adam even had breath in his body, Jesus was ready and willing and the lamb was slain in eternity past for your sin and my sin, giving us access to the very throne room of God. And tomorrow when you wake up, maybe you might walk into your job and maybe you might walk into a situation in your life that you have no answer or no idea what to do or how to do it, I want to tell you God has already been working in your situation before you even knew you had a situation and ready to deliver you if you would just appeal to the Lord and appeal to heaven. This is why in Jude chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I find it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. I want to tell you, we are called to contend for the faith that Jesus Christ purchased. Listen, you are already victorious in Christ. There isn't a a solution of whether you're going to be victorious or not. You're already won. Jesus Jesus rose from the dead. He got up on the third day. He's He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. You're already victorious. This does not mean that you will not have to contend, though. You must recognize that The devil is not going to hand you anything. You're going to have to go take the keys. You're going to have to go get your miracle. You're going to have to go expect. And believe and contend and fight and press in until you see the f- fruition of what God has promised you in your life. There are so many people that they just want everything handed to them, they just want to say, Here you go, enjoy it. And you, you cannot live this way. That's not the way the Bible tells us. There are times that you got to go to the promised land and you got to look at the giants and you got to say, I know that you're there, I know you're bigger than I am, I know you're stronger than I I am. But I've come to you today with your eviction notice to get out of my promised land because I am victorious in Christ. There is no fear in God. There is only victory in the Lord. He is not afraid of your tomorrow and he is not afraid of his tomorrow because he doesn't have one. It's always now. He's ready, willing, and able to do all that needs to be done in any moment in time. And everything is purchased at the foot of the cross for your sin and my sin. So we we look at an issue here in Scripture in the book of Genesis. It's It's an interesting story here. There's a guy named Abimelech. In Genesis chapter 21, verse 22, the story goes like this. And it came to pass that at the time of Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me in the land that you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. Then Abraham Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. And you did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham said, seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, you will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand and they will, and that they may be my witness that we have dug this well. So he purchased the well from the guy that owned the land and he gave them the seven lambs as a payment for the lambs. Now, he does something else. There, verse 31, Therefore he called the place Beersheba, because the two of them had swore an oath there. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba, so Abimelech rose with Ficol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then, so after Abimelech is gone, after it's all over with, then, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Now here is an interesting thing. A tamarisk tree is a fir tree, a evergreen tree. It is a tree of, 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 there are many different types of species during that time, but there's a tree. If you look over in, on uh, science stuff over in Israel and look at the, uh, the ecological th- websites over there, you can see the different types of tamarisk trees that are available, but they're essentially pine trees. They're essentially these evergreen trees. Now, that said in those times that that particular tree is a tree that if you planted that thing, you were not planting it for you, you were planting it for the next generation. Because if you plant this tree, it's a slow growing tree and as it grows and as it begins to grow, you will not see it in its height and in its beauty. Your children and your children's children will see it. And the thing and the reason why, one of the reasons why Abraham planted this tree was so that you would understand that the next generation would understand what this well was done and that they can go back to the tree and they can be reminded that my father bought this tree. So this well, this, my father planted this tree, so this well belongs to us. There's a reminder of what's going on. We know that several thousand years later there would be one called Jesus Christ who would hang upon a tree and he would be his blood would be spilled for your sake and my sake. And if any trial and any struggle that we would go through in our lives, we can remember and go back to the tree which he hung upon and we can say to the devil, I know you may be fighting I know there may be struggle. I know there may be pain in your life, but listen to me. Listen to me, devil. My tree is still standing there. It's the cross of my Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for me. He died not only for those that were there around the cross. He died for generation after generation after generation. So this planting of this tree was something that, that you had to they, it was a covenantal thing it was a reminder it was to tell them that the Lord is an everlasting God that once the covenant is made there will not be deviation from that covenant that once, once God said that he was going to do a thing in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and Exodus 19 and on and on and all the covenants that he made with the people of Israel once he covenanted with them he was not going to depart from it because he's an everlasting God you may die and you may grow old and you may breath may leave your body but he yet still remains if God made a covenant with a people if God made a covenant with you if God says to you I will bless your house and it doesn't matter whether you're living or not God is going to bless your house that is the reality of where we live in it's the reality because we serve the king of kings we live under the kingdom of the great one Jesus Christ. The everlasting one. The one that's been from the beginning. The one that's the author and finisher of all this place. The one who holds our being in his hand. We made a covenant with him. And because he has covenanted with us. We can hold to it. We can, wa- we can walk with him and talk with him. And we can be strong in what he has placed before us. And So getting back to this concept here the founding of our land goes something very similar is that we we like abraham were dwelling in a land that belonged to somebody else and what happens here in our country is that we had no i mean we look at it from this side of history but on that side of the time england the Bible of uh, the Bible, the history says that the sun never set on Great Britain, meaning that literally they had colonies all the way around the world. And so here we are, this 13 different colony area of what would now be called North America, there on the eastern coast of today's United States. There was no legitimate idea. That they should be able to succeed in any kind of rebellion. They, in fact, knew that most likely that if they would rebel, they would probably all die, and they would probably be killed for treason. And so, as the colonies had bound together, there was a guy that you commonly have heard of, I'm sure, I hope, George Washington. And he did something that was very interesting because as he began to, began to be part of the militia, be part of the, of the forces that went out to, to secure the, the, the rights of the citizens of these colonies, there became more and more evidence that we were not going to be able to coexist with Great Britain. And there became more and more of a of a push and a and a and a construction of taxation that continually forced us down and down and down. And so, as history begins to go, and and there there was a lot of strife that I'm glossing over because I don't have time to get in all of that. And as history begins to go, and as some of you are very well aware of, in 1775, George Washington began to he privatized his own navy. He got a bunch of schooner ships and he began to send them out into Boston Harbor to protect the citizens of Boston and he financed it of his own money. And as he began to finance it on his own money, they they recognized that there needed to be some level of hope for this, this little fleet. So they they remembering their education and over a hundred years prior John Locke writing about the concept of appeal to heaven they began to to literally fly a flag over the ships of George Washington's schooner ships that went around and as they went around these ships This flag represented something very important. This flag said, we know that the the giant is bigger than us. And we know that our cause is right and just. And we know these things. And we also know that without the help of God, we will utterly fall. So they flew this flag over their ships. An appeal to heaven. They flew this over their ships. If you go to Massachusetts, it's one of their flags right now. An appeal to heaven. I had no idea. And the reality is, is that we celebrated yesterday our literally our declaring of independence july 4th it is the anniversary of our independence now recognize something very important about that time we were not free on july 4th 1776 all we did was declare that we were free why do we celebrate that because the war wouldn't end for several years later we could we still could have lost We declared it. You see, there's something that you can do when you believe God that you can hold to the fact that if we declare something by faith, we are putting ourselves in the hands of God. And if you look in the Declaration of Independence, I thought, well, if this is all going to fit together, I'm going to find it in the Declaration of Independence. And lo and behold, it's in there. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, listen, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the restitution of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are right and ought to be free. And independent states. What are they doing? They said. We appeal to heaven. And we say. We know the battle is impossible. And we know that we will probably die. So we have only one hope. And only one way, and that is if we give it to the Lord Jesus Christ and appeal to heaven and send it out there to the Lord and say, if it be the will of God, this land can be formed and be prospered and be blessed by God. And you all know the rest of the story. We're standing here in the United States of America today because God heard our cry. God heard our cry. And it's not because some very intelligent men put together a very powerful document and that stirred people up and made them feel good about themselves. No, it's because the Lord God Almighty showed up and when battles that should have been lost we won and trials that should have overwhelmed us we overcame and God helped us and came to our aid and delivered us and set us free and our Congress recognized it from the very beginning as they stood up and said, if we do anything at all within this place, we should first pray and ask for the same God to come on to the scene and continue to bless America. Amen. Amen. The reality is, is that what America bought, what they purchased was freedom to serve Jesus without fear of the state coming in and burning down your church and tar and feathering you and many other things that they did during that time. What the reality is, is that there was never any intention for this country of ours to be separate from morality that Jesus Christ, that you find in the word of God. That this country of ours, John Adams said it in what so in some way, he said that basically we cannot and will not exist as a land, as a free people, unless we are a moral people. We cannot, if we and we get our morals from the Bible. We get our morals from Scripture. And we recognize that today it's not about how intelligent they were. It's about the grace of God. You see, there was another revolution going on in the land of France and it was a vicious revolution that happened during that time. And we never saw any of the struggle and the pain that happened there. Why? Because they were going for a secular revolution but we were going for An appeal to heaven to cry out to the Lord, and somehow somebody figured out that if there's a there's a tamarisk tree and they put it on a flag and they remembered that God would be with us and we planted that flag and it wasn't it wasn't going to be just for that generation or the next generation. It was going to be a slow grow, growing tree as it began to grow as freedom began to spread from place to place. This tree was going to be a hard tree but it was going to have to stay there and people were going to have to bleed and die for this tree and they were going to have to surround this tree and recognize that God had covenanted with us that if we appeal to heaven and if we cry out to the Lord, he would come and heal and bless and deliver this land. And this today is the message that I believe the Holy Spirit wants you to hear today. Do not forget the founding of this land. Even though you may be taught something completely different and even though you may not see it out there in the textbooks, understand today your nation was founded upon the principles of the Word of God and the principles of the Bible still remain to this day. And if you appeal to heaven, your God will still hear. Your God will still heal. Your God will still bless and deliver and take care of this land. Praise God in this place. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 40, Have you not known and have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I'm here to tell you this morning that God wants you to recognize the powerful truth that is this. That if you wait upon Him don't get ahead of yourself. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't try to fight the battle on. And in the ways of the world. But if you wait upon the Lord if you hold to God if you pray if you seek God if you begin to appeal to God it doesn't matter what a supreme court may rule it doesn't matter what somebody else may say it doesn't matter what this kingdoms of this world says there is still one king over all and he's looking for a people that are righteous he's looking for a people that are holy he's looking for a people that will appeal to him And believe upon Him. We're creating a prayer room over here. And the reality is, is that after service, we're going to hang this flag right there in that room. We're going to fly it over this this room today. Why? Because our job is to appeal to heaven. You say, "My, my daughter isn't saved. Appeal. She's hooked on drugs. She's in a lifestyle that she cannot escape from. Appeal. Doctors say there's no hope. Medicine won't fix it. Appeal. They may, doctors' diagnosis says that it's, it's fatal. You can still appeal. The world says that the, the economy is going to fail. We can still appeal. Appeal. The world says that never, everything is impossible. It's not going to weigh. It's got to be this way. Where the poor are taking advantage of. And the rich are all these things. We have one more thing to do. We can still appeal. We don't have to listen to what the report of the world is. We shall believe the report of the Lord. And if our God declares it, it shall be done. Your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, they all at different times and different ways knew that they could call unto the Lord. We have in this land of ours two categorized great awakenings. The third one took place in 1858 and 1859, right before the Civil War. There were appeals, one after the other. After the other. Here we are. It came to the point in 1859 that they were shutting down businesses every day at noon so people could gather and pray all across this land. And in that time period, 10% of the population of the United States received Jesus Christ as their Savior. Right before the Civil War. You don't recognize. You say, well, didn't the war still happen? Yes. But I'm telling you, If God's people weren't praying three years ahead of time, we have no idea what this land would look like today. We've seen revivals in the early 20th century as they began to move, as Pentecostalism was born, as many other revivals that have gone and spread across this world of ours one after the other, have all been based upon one thing. The reality that the world says is there is not our reality. Our reality is found in the throne room of heaven. That he is still on the throne. And we do not have to stay silent. And we do not have to hear and accept as reality what the world calls us and tells us to do. That they may speak over us as a church. And they may call us a name. But our God is called you by his son's name you are his beloved you are his child you belong to the Lord and he has given to you this day his Holy Spirit so that whenever you need him in the middle of the night when that phone call rings and you don't know what to do and you don't know where to go and fear is gripping your heart I'm telling you appeal to the heavenlies above that Jesus Christ is still on the throne you can be free today Our land is in in bad shape today, in many many different ways, many many ways. The media is not reporting or not even going into into many depths of what this trouble that we are in. You know, there's roughly, and I'm going to finish with this illustration. There's roughly 350 million people that live in the United States. 350, and let's just say conservatively, just just for throwing out numbers, we take 50 million of those as kids, people under the age of 18. So you're left with 300 million people that are adults, according to the way we measure adulthood. Out of those 300 million people, 93 million of them are not working. One-third of working adults Ability to work are not working. 30% almost. You don't hear this on the news. What am I telling you today? We need to start appealing again. Government isn't going to solve your problems. Area isn't going to solve your problems. Our local authorities aren't going to solve your problems. Jesus is. Jesus is. He's the one. That if we would get back to this, that we're looking out over the sea and we're seeing the ships that are coming in, and we're unashamed standing up saying, I know. I know you're Goliath, and I know your giants are there, and I know we're having trouble in our land, and I know it's bad, and I just gave you one statistic. I know it's bad, but yet we still can appeal to heaven. We can still cry out to the Lord. We don't have to take what the world says. We can believe, thus says the Word of God. We can hold to Jesus Christ. We can remain strong in the Lord. We do not have to be afraid, and we can be strong in the Lord and not dismayed that our God is an everlasting God our God remains the same he does not change he's the same yesterday today and forever and your God is able today to reach into your family to reach into your life to deliver this country to deliver this state to deliver our county let's appeal to heaven today Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of East Point Church of God and Pastor Larry Sterling. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.